In order to be faithful to our text this morning, I need to speak to you about weed problems, to which some of you are like, finally, a sermon I can relate to, you know, this is maybe not what we're talking about, but uh, the weed I need to talk to you about is the Greek weed, the Zazania weed, or more commonly referred to as the bearded Darnell. Now, in fairness, it is considered a drug by many because if you eat the Darnell seed, you get dizzy, off balance, and nauseous. Its official name, the Lolium Temenulentum. It's the best I could do. I don't speak Latin, sorry. Lolium Temenulentum. It comes from the Latin word for drunk because that was the characteristics of it when you ate it. So knowing that, I find it somewhat ironic that it's Jesus who first brings this weed to our attention. I'll show you. If you brought your Bible, meet me in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We're actually in part two of a series of messages where we're looking at some stories that Jesus told. They're called parables. Depending how you count them, there's actually 46 parables listed in the Bible, but we're only going to explore six of them in our time together. The reason I wanted to spend time on these parables is because there's this crazy verse in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, dude, why do you always speak in parables? And maybe you've wondered the same thing. And Jesus' answer really threw me when I first read it because here it is. Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and never hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven, which you can maybe see my confusion because I thought being forgiven was the point, right? I thought that's why Jesus came to the earth. For God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. I thought First Peter said that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to get into the kingdom of God. And so with patience and long-suffering, he keeps giving people opportunities to be forgiven. And the answer is, of course, yes, that's all true. So therefore, Jesus did not speak in parables for the purpose of withholding truth from anyone. But the result of some of his parables is that most people won't understand or respond positively. See, he spoke in parables to provoke thought and invite commitment. It's the exact same thing that happened when I read Mark chapter 4. My first thought was, well, that can't be right. And so it you know, caused me to want to investigate it further. And same thing's true when Jesus starts speaking in parables. He's inviting people to investigate his claims. He's asking people to dig in. Keep in mind, the people that he was speaking to, they would have known that everything Jesus was teaching was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Like the Jews who were listening to him could have checked it all out. What's Jesus say in Luke when he's on the road to Emmaus? He takes them to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he shows them how everything is about him. All scripture points to Jesus. So even in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And when you do the hard work of investigating what Jesus was saying there, you'll find out that it's really a warning. The word that's translated otherwise in our verse, that's not the best translation. The best translation of that is the word, the words as a result. So really you could read the verse, I speak in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. As a result, 
they might turn and be forgiven, which is exactly what Jesus wants. He wants you searching, exploring, and learning, and growing, and being forgiven, which is why he tells this parable in Matthew chapter 13. Pick it up in verse 24. Here's another parable Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where do they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together. Somebody say together. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the good wheat in the barn. God, help us to understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to us now. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to understand. As a result, our lives might be changed because of it. Do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Clear some things up. And help us move closer to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. That's what people say. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Except people lie. Because nobody likes an imitation. Just just ask Millie Vanilli. You all know who I'm talking about? They won a Grammy in 1990. Subsequently had to give that Grammy back. Because it turns out they couldn't sing. They were imposters, and people didn't like that. They didn't feel flattered. They felt cheated. And uh, same thing is true with Frank Abagnale, if you've ever heard of Frank. He's popularized by the book and the movie Catch Me If You Can. He pretended to be a pilot, a physician, and a lawyer. And before getting caught, he, or after getting caught, he spent nearly five years in federal prison before the FBI recruited him out and allowed him to come and work for them. But on the front end, his imitations were illegal. And so often his victims felt flattered, but the government did not. Or uh, how about something closer to home? How about imitation vanilla? Gross. Like, nobody ever wants to do that. How about imitation milk? I just threw up a little in my mouth. I apologize. Thinking of it, the powder and the water, that's just horrible. Uh, When I was a kid, I grew up really poor, and we couldn't uh, afford cereal in a box. We had to get the cereal in the Ziploc bag. You all know what I'm talking about? And so we couldn't afford Frosted Mini Wheats. We got Frosted Mini Spooners. And uh, (laughs) seriously what they're called. Instead of Lucky Charms, we had to eat Marshmallow Mateys. And uh, in fairness... I never really knew the difference between, you know, the good stuff and the imitation stuff until I went to a friend's house and his mom pulled out, instead of Honey Nut Scooters, she got a box of Honey Nut Cheerios. And I was like, what is this contraption? And she said, it's a box of cereal. I was like, I didn't know they had boxes. I didn't know we could do this. This is amazing. And so to this day, I tell my wife, don't buy the imitation stuff. We are not barbarians. We get the good stuff in this house. 
Except when we first got married, she came home one day with a, a box of those Hydrox cookies instead of the Oreo cookies because she also grew up poor, so she was still dreaming small. And so I had to almost, I had to almost file for a divorce. I was like, "This is not, this is not what we do in this house." And the first question that I will ask if you guys come to me for marital counseling is, "Have they ever come home with a box of Hydrox cookies?" And they're like, "No." Then we can probably work it out, okay? Because everything else is just, you know compares to that. Here in our parable, we have a weed trying to look like wheat. And in real life, the Darnell, uh, the Zanzania plant, it actually does a very good job at imitating wheat. Before the heads sprout, they look identical. To put it in perspective, I brought you a picture to look at. See if you can tell the difference. How many of you all think the wheat is on your left side up there? Anyway, show of hands. We got a couple of people. How many people think the wheat is on your right over here? More of you over there. Some of you have no idea. We're in Kansas. How can you not tell the difference between wheat? Uh, it's actually on the left over here. Your, your left, my right. That is the wheat. But you can see they look almost Identical. What's crazy is sowing this weed among your enemy's wheat crop was actually a very common practice. The Roman government had to write legislation and, and enact laws to prosecute people who did this because it became so common. And the reason I want you thinking about an imitation is because according to Jesus, there's only two types of people in this world. There's the wheat and there's the wannabes. And one of the words that gets thrown around a lot, at least in non-Christian circles, is the word hypocrite. And people say, well, I'd never go to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. But that seems a little bit odd to me. I think you should know that the word hypocrite is actually a theater word. It's an actor. It, it literally means to put a mask on. And so here's what I want you to write down. Sometimes we confuse hypocrisy for humanity. Sometimes we confuse hypocrisy for humanity. That is to say, none of us are perfect. Of course, sometimes we're going to make mistakes. Of course, sometimes we're going to do something that we don't actually believe in. So it's not that we're trying to imitate something. It's just we're ignorant of the alternative. We didn't know any different. Which is why when people tell me that they would never go to church, that's just a bunch of hypocrites, I say, I know. It's why I had to start my own church, so we could just all be hypocritical together. And I tell them, you should come join us and be hypocrites with us, because listen, we've all pretended. We've all pretended in some area of our life, right? Yeah. You know, didn't you pretend when you first started dating? You pretended to like Jennifer Aniston movies. And your girl pretended to like salad with vinaigrette. Well, nobody actually likes that. And you both pretended that you never fart. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> your stomach's all hurting and you're trying just to get home. And don't talk to me about hypocrisy, okay? We're all a hypocrite in some area of our life. It's called being human. And uh, none of us are perfect. It's not a call to be perfect. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to bear fruit. So I'll say it this way. Even a little fruit is better than no fruit. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. That's the point of his parable. He wants you looking at your own life and answering, am I wheat or am I a weed? Because even a little wheat is better than a wannabe weed. How do I know? Well, because Jesus actually explains the parable. It's in verse 36. 
He says, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom of God. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one, the enemy, who planted the weeds among the wheat. He is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. See, the difference between heaven and hell, according to Jesus, is fruit. It's growth. It's about being what he's called you to be. It's about purpose. It's recognizing who you are. Are you wheat or are you a weed? So a couple of things to point out. First of all, last week we looked at the parable of the sower, where the seed was the word of God, and that sometimes that word of God, it falls on bad soil, and it doesn't produce a harvest, because the soil is in our hearts. And so we need to do a good job at preparing our soil. That was the point of the parable. And last week, the seed isn't the... This week, the seed is not the word. That was last week. This week... The seed is what the word produces. It's us. And so we can explain it like this. The first parable, the parable of the sower, the sower is anybody who throws out the seed of the word of God. Today's me. It could be any other pastor. It could be a friend. It could be a mentor. It's anybody who explains the gospel of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the word of God. And this word of God, this good seed that's sown, when it takes root in the soil of our heart, it transforms us into the people of God who are planted back into the world by Jesus. So the Lord puts us in the world not just, be to, not just to be matured by the pressure that the world brings, but he plants you into the world to influence the weeds into becoming wheat like we did. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. Our planting is purposeful, which is why Jesus says in John chapter 17, my prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but while they're in the world, you'll protect them from the evil one. In other words, you're not here by accident. You were planted by God. And can I just tell you why that's good news? It's because it's good news because you're right in the place where God wants you to be. Come on, somebody. Unless you're not. And then the question is, well, how do I know if I'm not? Well, we'll talk about that next week. How do you know if you're planted where God wants you to be? That's the next week's parable. But the point today is, you're not meant to be off in some monastery somewhere. You're not meant for a life in an isolated cubicle. You are not called to be holed up in some remote region of the world, making your own clothes and churning your own butter. You are called to influence, not isolate which is the exact reason the enemy had to come in, right? Have you thought about that before? 
If you were planted in some greenhouse, you wouldn't have any need for an enemy because you're of no concern. Your seed can't blow in the wind of God out into the world and begin to grow in the harvest that he wants to have happen in his world. He wants you out there impacting and shaping and molding and changing culture. Because as we've already established, God's seed is good. God's seed will not return void. God's seed always produces a fruit. So if that fruit can't get out, then you're of no concern. Yet the reason our enemy comes in goes to show you the limitation of our enemy. He couldn't stop the wheat from being wheat. Therefore, he has to try and devalue the harvest. He needs to cut down on the bushels per acre. And hasn't this been his modus operandi from the very beginning? What happens in the very beginning of the Bible? In Genesis, where God plants a garden, and then he plants Adam and Eve in the garden to tend the garden and shape the garden. The devil comes in, and he tries to devalue what God created. He asks the man and woman, did God really say you can't eat from this one tree? They're like, yeah, he did say that. Well, do you know why he said that? Yeah, because he's good and God and has a good plan for our lives. And the devil says, no, 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 no. God did that because God knows if you'll eat of this tree, you'll be like him. You'll be like God. But they were already like God, created by God in his image, perfect in their purpose. But because the enemy couldn't stop creation and because he couldn't stop the beauty and the love and the divine order that came with it, he has to try and devalue it. He has to try and cheapen it. He has to try and change their purpose. It's why the Bible tells us we need to be aware of counterfeits because from the beginning of time, imitations have been trying to infiltrate our lives. It's what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain was a pretender. You track this through the Old Testament. It's what happened with Jacob and Esau. It's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. It's what happens with the seven sons of Sceva. It's what happens with Judas Iscariot. The list could go on and on. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us the devil will disguise himself as an angel of light in order to try and get into your life and dirty up. He's so hell-bent on dirtying up God's creation He'll try and convince you he's something he's not. Now, you know this just from your own personal life and your personal experiences. People are always trying to sell you counterfeit things. That's why you got to be aware of them. The global brand counterfeiting report said this year, 2019, they managed to track down $1.82 trillion in counterfeit sales. Let that sink in. Almost $2 trillion of sales. You thought you were buying wheat when the reality was you end up buying a bearded Darnell. Literally, while I was preparing this message, I was in the office. A number showed up on the caller ID. It said Andale, Kansas. I was like, well, that's not that far away. This probably isn't something weird. And so I went ahead and answered it. And the guy says, hi, this is Mark with Severgy. Can I speak to the manager or owner of the business? which right away, I know this is a scam because this ain't a business, you know, uh, church. I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church that you just called. And uh, he said, well, are you located at 425 East 61st Street North, Suite 3, Park City? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, this is Mark from Severdry Truck 11749, and we're scheduled to do a disconnect between 11 and 3. Have you gotten a notice about that? 
I said, no, Mark, I haven't gotten a notice about that, but who did you say you're with again? He says, I'm with Severgy, the power company, which how many of y'all know what our actual power company is called? Evergy, yeah. Ain't Severgy, bro. So uh, I said, what, what is this about again? And he says, this is work order 718DC14. Have you gotten a notice from us? No, Mark, I haven't. He said, well, you need to write that work order number down immediately and call 1-800-452-9022 in order to avoid a shutoff. And I said, whoa, Mark, this sounds pretty serious. And he said, yes, sir, it is. So I go... Well, how about instead of that, I call my real power company, which ain't Severgy, and I ask them what's going on, and then I call the state of Kansas and report you all for the, to the state for consumer fraud. How does that sound, Mark? And Mark hung up the phone. And uh, I called the 1-800 number, by the way, just because I'm crazy like that, and uh, they, they said this number is no longer in service. And so they apparently got a switch or something right away. But my point is you can't scam a man of God. Okay, that's lesson number one. Uh, lesson number two is what's really the difference between the wheat and the wannabes? The imitators and the people who are actually doing what they're supposed to do. How do you tell a hypocrite from someone who's being just human? It's growth. It's all about growth. It's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, you'll recognize my true followers by their fruit because ultimately the Christian grows into the likeness of Christ. The counterfeit doesn't really ever grow. It's why you periodically need to be taking inventory of your life and asking yourself, have I grown? Compared to where I started, have I made some strides forward? Am I making progress? If not, it's possible that you have in your harvest some weeds. That maybe you're not actually acting as wheat. You got some weed problems. So what do we do about that? Well, what we don't do is go out and spray all the weeds. Just ask Monsanto how that turns out. Didn't turn out good for them. Furthermore, before I really make people angry about all that, uh, it's what Jesus told us not to do. He told us not to go spray in the field, pull all the weeds, and he's the one who owns the field, right? He's not borrowing the field. He's not leasing the field. It's his field. So he gets to decide what to do with it. And he has decided that he's going to sow his field with good seed. Good seed that he's gained from the past crop. Because we're standing on the shoulders of the men and women who have come before us. Men and women who have died horrible deaths just so we could have access to this book. I think because we live in a culture of relative peace when it comes to our faith, we often forget that the weeds have tried to overtake our field on numerous occasions. And they crucified Peter upside down, and they stoned Stephen, and they boiled John alive, and they set others on fire simply for owning portions of manuscripts that came from this book. And they crucified the man who tried to change this, in William Tyndale, into a language that everybody could read. And it goes to show you that this good seed, the good seed of the Word of God, it cannot be stopped. But it also goes to show you and speaks to why the workers are so confused 
by the fact that there's weeds showing up in their master's field. They're like, hey, we know you always plant good seed. Did you not plant good seed this time? And Jesus said, of course I did. An enemy did this. And they asked, well, should we go out and rip out all the weeds? Nope. Let them grow together. Isn't that interesting? Because while some people are frantically running out trying to rip up all the weeds, they may be forgetting the fact that at one point in time, they were once a weed themselves. And maybe God knows the weeds just need a little more time in order to become wheat. And if we go around destroying everybody, we may be totally out of line with what God's plan is. That's why he says that's not your calling. That's the angel's job. We not to do that. This is God's field. It's God's seed. It's his harvest. Our job is to make sure we're not a weed. How? By analyzing our fruit. By seeing your growth. By checking it all out. Sure, you might have everybody else fooled, but you know. You know if you're faking it. You know if the reason you come to church is because your spouse is making you, your friends want you to, or your parents want you to, or you, you're a businessman and you know this is a good place where a lot of people are going to gather and so you need to get some sales up. And you know if you're just trying to make other people happy. You know if you're a weed. You know if you're hypocritical. And if you're not a weed, your job is to grow so big and so strong that you crowd out the weeds. See, we don't go in there ripping things up. We're not trying to destroy anybody. We're trying to convert them. We're trying to get them to be weed like we are. Come on, somebody. That's what you're called to do. That's why God's planted you in the world. Throughout history, unfortunately, there have been many so-called Christian movements who have sought to forcibly remove weeds from the field, and that's never been fruitful. I heard a pastor once say the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions and running other people down. Well, that's sad, but it's often true. So write this down. Stop trying to imitate the weed and stop trying to identify the weeds. Start trying to impact the world. Stop trying to imitate wheat. It's not our job. We're not hypocrites in the fake sense of the world. Now, we are human So oftentimes we're going to do some things where we make mistakes, but we don't need to imitate wheat. We don't need to identify the weeds for the sake of pulling them out. That's the angel's job. What we do need to do is understand who the weeds are so that we can impact them for God's glory. We need to start impacting the world. So I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians where he said, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's our job, to become like Christ. And who did Christ spend the most time with? It wasn't the religious elite. It was the weeds. It was the tax collectors. It was the sinners. It was the women of the night. See, in effect, Christ paid the kingdom's entry fee for all those who will believe in his name because he is the only one who could pay such an unimaginably high price. And our response to that, because Jesus did that, it has nothing to do with you. The only reasonable response to that is one of getting involved. Yet what I've found in large part is that there's a lot of Christians who have a propensity to believe in magic. 
So we believe, well, if God planted his good seed, then God should make a bountiful harvest. Like, why would we need to do anything? Why would we have to be involved? Because God's God. Well, maybe. Okay, I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that says he can't. But you should know there's nothing in Scripture that says he will. More often than not, he wants you to do some work. Y'all ever notice that growing a garden is awesome when somebody else does it? You know what I'm saying? Like seeing somebody else's garden is amazing. You start watching these YouTube videos. They got these raised boxes and the compost and the wood chip. And it's just growing everywhere. And then you come around and look at my garden. And there's bugs everywhere. And weeds growing up as big as a man. And you're like, what in the world is going on over here? Well, I don't have any time to put in the garden. In the same way, you can't put your life on auto grow. There's got to be some time spent in there pulling and plodding and doing everything and getting out the weeds. A lot of us just want God to bless everything without ever spending time in the field. It's unfortunate, but if I've learned anything from reading the Bible, is that a lot of people just want to come to Jesus for the show. Just see what he did. And in the beginning of John chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people. And then he starts walking on water. And then he starts healing everybody. You know how the end of John chapter 6 goes? It says that many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. After he did all those amazing things, why'd they leave? Because verse 6, he says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. What's the hard teaching? It's verse 40. My Father's will is that everyone, everyone, who looks to the Son of God and believes in Him, they're going to have eternal life. It's a hard teaching because the implication is if you don't believe, you won't have life. This is the same hard teaching of our parable. Some people are weeds. And the message of the Bible is we don't go around pulling weeds. So Jesus is saying, it's not all men without... The message of Jesus is... the. It's not all men without exception. It's all men without distinction. See, the message is for everybody. It's just that not everybody is going to choose to accept it. And when you do accept it, the work just begins. That's when you've got to get in there and start doing the work in the field. So here's what I want you thinking about as we close. Why does Jesus repeatedly use planting as one of his consistent metaphors. Why does he want us to get this idea of growing plants? Now, sure, he's speaking to an agrarian society at this point in time, and they would understand plants and planting, but I'm sure Jesus, being God and all, surely understands that these aren't the only people that he's going to be talking to. He's got the foreknowledge to realize that we're going to be talking about his parables one day too. So it wasn't just for them, it's also for us. And I can't help but think Jesus speaks about plants because plants exist completely through the operation of something else. A plant can't plant itself. The wind has to come in and knock the seed down or a honeybee's got to come in and fertilize and something else fertilizes the stigma and the the pistil. And if you think Christianity is a matter of self-reformation, and making a few decisions apart from others and sort of straightening up your life. And if you think Christianity is something you do, then you maybe have never sensed the power of God coming on you 
and showing you things that you've never seen before in yourself, and you've never had God start revolutionizing your life, you probably don't understand what Christianity actually is. You might just be faking it because you were ignorant before, which is why I'm glad you're here today. Because a person who really understands that they're a Christian understands that they've struggled and worked hard in the process. Yes and amen to that. But once you become a Christian, you realize that it was God who was working in you and dealing with you on the front end of all those things. There's an outside power that has opened your eyes. He's been guiding you and directing you, and he's drawing you closer to himself. You realize that God has planted you for a purpose, and that purpose is not just to look like wheat. It's to produce a harvest of wheat, and not just for yourself. You're supposed to produce a harvest in that barn of other people to come with you. Not pretending to be anything. We're trying to help people understand the goodness of what being with God really is like. So that's a question you've got to ask yourself. Am I wheat or am I weed? Am I growing or am I stagnant? Am I helping people or am I trying to help myself? God, as we pray over those questions, I ask you now to speak to our hearts and help us answer that. God, where are you leading us? Where are you directing us? Where are you wanting us to get involved? How are you wanting us to be planted in this world so that we can make a difference? God, you're making us new. You're trying to work these things out through us, but it takes a little bit of effort on our part. So help lead us and guide us and direct us to figure out how to live together in this world and make an impact with the time that we have. As we continue to pray over that, as you really are just reflecting on your life, the question before you is, am I wheat or am I a weed? And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, Jesus just said you're an imitator. He's calling you to be made new, maybe for the very first time ever. That's what's at stake for you. You can leave here today knowing that you're going to bear fruit in Jesus' name because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. So I just encourage you to accept that good seed of God, that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, and that three days later he rose from the dead, And because of that, you can be made new. God, thank you for that free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. We ask you to forgive our sin, make us new, help us change the world around us for your glory and our joy. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.